Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Let's have all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, Brady PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus. It's my favorite day of the year. Off-season has begun, and it's time to talk about the way-too-early Top 25. Good morning. It is Wednesday, January 12th. You are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott, joined right now by Chris Hummer, college football reporter, national college football writer. What do we, I don't know what we call you uh, anymore. Do it all, Mr. Transfer Portal. Back from San Antonio. Uh, don't tell us the name of the coach, Chris, but what was it like watching the Alabama-Georgia title game with coaches at a bar? What do they think about the game? It was it was a good time, man. It was interesting. I we a couple of us were having dinner essentially a little bit by accident with the Power Five head coach for the entire game, and it was a really interesting insight into how coaches look at it. Had some some not so complimentary opinions about some of the players and some of the play calls. Um, I think I learned a lot, so it was a really it was a really engaging experience. So I really enjoyed it. Did any coach have any nice thing to say about preseason number one Alabama after their loss? Or do you have anything to say about what makes the tide a slam dunk if you, if you want to move away from the coach talk and, and get to why Alabama, I think on your ballot too, and everyone's ballot is, is just is just number one in 2022. Yeah, I mean, I think most coaches are just very complimentary of Alabama in general and everything Nick Saban's built. But next year's team is going to be potentially disgusting. I know they're going to lose guys like Evan Neal, Jamison Williams, potentially Jordan Battle, Josh Job, John Mechie, probably all going to the NFL, but... I think you can really make an argument if the offensive line, some of those younger pieces develop, that Alabama could be better at almost every position on the field next year with Eli Ricks coming in, with Jameer Gibbs coming in, Bryce Young being a year older, that offensive line, which was a bit of a problem this year at times, being more experienced and potentially a little more talented in some spots. That defensive line is going to be healthier. That linebacker group is going to be nasty with Will Anderson. It's going to be hellacious. Hellacious. That defense is going to be disgusting. And Alabama is just like... This was the year for Georgia to win it. Like Alabama is going to be really, really freaking good next year. And I would put heavy money if I was a betting person on Alabama today, if I can get any decent odds for the Titus national champions next year. Yeah. My little like storylines within the storylines. I think, I think Will Anderson goes after um, I'm looking through the stat record. Most we've had in a year. He led the nation to 17 and a half. I, I think maybe he gets 20 with Dallas Turner on the other side. So yeah, we know Bama is going to be good. Ohio State is number two in ours, and we're not going to go through even the top five, really. I want to do some sort of top cuts and then best outside the top 10 and, and all that jazz. But you got Ohio State at two, and this is us, 24-7 sports. It was you, a few other guys. Georgia at three, Texas A&M at four, Notre Dame at five, Clemson at six, Michigan seven, Utah at eight, Michigan State at nine, Baylor at 10. I think what's interesting about doing this, and I participated in the ballot, was the the recognize that the transfer portal can just change all of this in, in an instant. Like I didn't have USC in mind, and if they get Caleb Williams and Mario Williams after we're done recording, I might have to move them up a little bit. I was going to say, this is uh, we talked about this earlier, I guess last week. This is the hardest top 25 I've ever had to do. It is difficult to know who's coming back as seniors. It's difficult to know who is going to go to the NFL draft at this point with a couple of days to go. It's really difficult to know what rosters are going to look like when some teams like USC might still add like freaking 10 transfers. So a lot of these rosters that we're talking about now are going to look considerably different come the spring. So 
usually I think releasing several top 25s during the offseason is kind of silly. Not much changes. This is going to be very fluid for the next couple of months as teams adjust their rosters and add key pieces. Yeah, no question about that. So Ohio State too, I think, you know, they got Jim Knowles coming in as defensive coordinator, obviously loaded. Georgia at three. Do we think they go after a transfer quarterback? Sedson Bennett said today he's no. going to be playing somewhere. No. Just no. Okay. I think Brock Vandergriff is going to be the guy there, like long term. I think if Stetson Bennett stays around, Kirby Smart would be very smart to, I'm sorry, no pun intended there, to go with Brock Vandergriff next year, go with the young guy who raises your ceiling, as opposed to Stetson, who I still feel like, and I, I'm not trying, he just won a national championship. It's an amazing story. I still feel like really hindered them at times offensively. Um, in that system uh, when they had to push the ball downfield and do some things out of the structure of being on time and early downs with the run game. So I, I think it would be the right move to move on to Brock Vandergriff, who I think is viewed as the future there. And there are some interesting quarterback names out there, but I don't, I don't think any of them are trending towards Georgia right now. Yeah, that's uh wow. I kind of thought they might've gone for one. Uh, Texas A&M at four. It's funny. And I read the ESPN write-up of A&M. A lot of reasons why you would why you wouldn't include the Aggies, like they lose a lot, but we're to the point now where the recruiting baseline is what it is, that this is just like almost a shoe in top five team when you're talking about preseason. Yeah, I totally agree. They I say them loses a ton off this team and you'd you'd think they'd fall off, but they're about to bring in the best class in history, most likely in twenty twenty two. That defensive line, the front seven A and M is constructed through recruiting the last three to four years is frankly, arguably the best in the country, like with Georgia losing so much. I think Alabama will have a strong argument for that next year, but it is disgustingly loaded. And they're going to be much more talented at receiver this year. Maybe Evan Stewart steps in right away and is that number one answer A&M's been looking for there. Damon Demas showed some signs late this year of emerging as a potential top threat. They still have a really deep tight end room, even with Jalen Weidemeyer leaving. And Max Johnson potentially is an upgrade if he ends up starting or... Perhaps I am totally blanking Trey. Who is the quarterback who started King. The from Lane, Longview, Haynes Texas? King. Yeah, my apologies, Haynes. But maybe he's healthy. He provides a dynamic element that they lack this year at the position. I think AM could be better this year, and I think they're deservedly a top five team. Do you agree with AM being number five, or sorry, Notre Dame being number five in, in the poll that we ended up averaging out with? I had Clemson above Notre Dame personally. I think I had. Clemson number five and Notre Dame number six. But I, I understand the argument for Notre Dame. I think they're going to be a very popular preseason team. Uh, the story with the new head coach is going to dominate the offseason, I think, especially with Notre Dame playing Ohio State week one. And there's a lot of energy and momentum around that team. Number one class in 2023 right now. I'm excited to see the Tyler Buckner era at Notre Dame. Well, hey, hey, they they might go after sexing with somebody. I was like, so you, you guys passed on Slovis. Would you pass on Jackson Dart? And they said no. Just letting you know. Interesting. I have not. I I have not heard Notre Dame for Jackson Dart. I've heard UCLA, BYU, Ole Miss. A little bit out there about Oklahoma. I don't know how much stock I put into that. But I mean, a lot of schools would be smart to add Jackson Dart. He's an elite talent. So I think that elevates Notre Dame if they do go that route. So that'll be interesting. Who outside? And you could say Clemson, Michigan, whoever. Who outside the top five do you think is a legitimate playoff contender? Oh, it's it's Clemson. I know, I know we're all down on Clemson and there's legitimate reason to be worried about Clemson long term. They're not adapting with the way they handle scholarships, the transfer portal. I don't love the fact that they stayed internal for all these important hires they had to make. But Davos Sweeney does it his way. But like if that offensive line gets a little better, if DJ looks like the player we thought he was gonna be, or if Kate Klubnick plays it comes in right away and takes his job, kinda like we saw Kelly Bryant lose his job to Trevor Lawrence at one point. 
Um, I think Clemson could be really good offensively with a couple changes in that defense is still going to be nasty. That front four that Clemson's going to have is going to be as good in the country as anybody. So I think Clemson in the ACC, especially, which I still think provides probably the easiest path to the playoff has an excellent chance of getting back there at least. And if you get to the playoff, you at least have a chance to win a national champion. I'm kind of wondering who our buyer beware top team is. I think I might go Baylor, even though I, I ranked them high in my ballot. And then I was really Baylor thinking so you, much, man. I know. Cause so you, just, you throw the ballot, you know, you throw it together and you're like, Oh yeah, Baylor. Um, I love, I mean, who doesn't love Dave Aranda, but not to even mention the fact that they're not catching anyone by surprise, but they lose so much at these primo positions, um, receiver. I think they lose most of their defensive playmakers, the guys who are household names, right? They lose Petrie. Yeah, they lose, they lose Bernard. They're, they're losing like five NFL players on defense, essentially. So I, they, I, they're losing know, I would like to see them all honestly give the job to Blake Shapin at quarterback, but I, I could see that being a, a buyer B. I'll go buyer B bear there. Uh, Michigan <laughs> State, you know, just they, they won the Peach Bowl. Didn't look great without Kenneth Walker, but Mel Tucker's our guy. You know, like we're not too far along from the transfer portal, just subsidizing our, our mortgages. So he's our guy there. I mean, they're crushing it. Um, I like what they're doing. I don't know if you have the top 10 in front of you. Utah's in the top 10. Michigan's in the top 10. Did one of those schools scare you a little bit? I don't think Baylor should be a top 10 team personally. I, I really like Dave Aranda. And I think the offensive line, they returned four of the five starters off one of the best groups in the country, allows Baylor to at least be in the conversation as the top 15 team going in the preseason. I think I had them 14th or 15th, but I'm a little leery there. I think Gary Bohanna needs to improve considerably for Baylor to take that step. I think they have to add a lot through the portal. And I... I still like, and I don't want to be one of these guys that just focuses on talent. Like the talent gap between Baylor and the rest of the Big 12. Uh, Baylor's probably like the fourth or fifth most talented team in the Big 12. They have a margin for error that's a lot smaller than other schools. We saw it with Iowa State this year, actually. They won a lot of one-score games in 2020. This year, they won a significantly fewer number of those games. And I think Baylor is in a little bit of the same boat. They play such good defense, and they're a little conservative offensively. And if a few games flip the other way, Baylor is a probably an eight and four team. Ah, that's probably a little harsh. Maybe like nine and three. I can see Baylor going eight and four, nine and three next year very easily. The same way I can see Michigan State have that happen to them. Like Michigan State is still building. Michigan State is very transfer reliant, so they don't have the baseline talent, especially in a Big Ten East that's going to be disgusting next season for them to win repeated close games like they did this year in a lot of ways. So I would, I think those two teams, I understand why they're in the top 10 and I had them as top 15 teams. I just would be leery of them repeating the seasons they had this year. I'm going to read 11 to 15. You're going to tell me which one ends up in the top 10. I would prefer if you don't go big 12 again, but we're just, it's up to you, Chris. 11, Wake Forest, 12, New Look, Oklahoma, 13, New Look, Oregon, 14, BYU, 15, Oklahoma State. I would go Oregon. I had Oregon as my number really my number nine team, I think. Oregon brings back, I want to say like 15 or 16 starters. They're going to be better at quarterback, even if it's Ty Thompson or Obonis. Like They're going to be better. They have some really exciting young receivers. And I think Mario Cristobal, who's a hell of a coach, was very conservative at times with the way he ran that offense. Like I'm very excited to see what Dan Lanning can do to open things up. I think that defense, especially with Justin Flo, Noah Sewell in the middle of it, 
is going to be pretty disgusting, even with Kayvon Thibodeau going in the NFL. That secondary is going to be pretty solid. Oregon still has a couple of moves to make via the transfer portal. The infrastructure that Mario Cristobal left from a recruiting standpoint is really strong. And I still think the Pac-12 is wide open. I have Utah as a preseason top 10 team. I think Utah is the best team in the Pac-12 till proven otherwise. They're just so good up front compared to the rest of the league. But Oregon, given the health issues it had this year, given the quarterback issues it had this year, I think it has a really high ceiling as a potential top 10 team. I, I like Oregon as a playoff sleeper going into the offseason. Yeah, you look at the rest of the Pac-12 North especially, and that's what it's going to come down to because we're we're going to assume that Oregon loses in week one to Georgia. And, yep. that, and that's something to watch. You know, we've seen plenty of good teams kind of get ruined by one of those SEC powers in week one. Miami, it happened to this year. Florida State back in 2016, and they're never quite the same. So a soft Pac-12 North in which Washington, I looked at their team rankings the other day. It's like 98th. It's just getting totally lapped here with quarterback questions as well. I think Oregon should be the, the toast of that conference unless... You know, I mean, I mean, I shouldn't say the conference. It's Utah's Utah, and, and USC could make a run. Team in the back ten who has no business being there. Uh, at first glance, <laughs> and we love Arkansas. At first glance, they lose a lot. You're probably going to say Texas. I'm um, not. I'm not. I actually, is it Miami? Is it? Do you know? Is it I, Iowa? I, okay, honestly, I think I voted for every single team in the back ten. But I will say. This year, more than any other year, once I, I think it was 14, once I got to 14, Trey, after that, I just thought there were 25 teams that could go in the rest of those spots. And I had a difficult time filling in the order. I probably leaned a little too heavily on 2021 results to project towards 2022. And I can understand why an Arkansas might be a team that people want to drop. They have a lot of issues defensively with people entering the portal. They're losing a lot on that side of the ball. But I would also counter that conversation with Arkansas by saying KJ Jefferson's probably going to be really good next year. That wide receiver group is going to be excellent. That offense isn't going to take a step back because the Kendall Bryle, Bryles tree system never really does. They could be really explosive on that side. So I, I don't know, man. I think Texas should be in there. For people in to get state, upset that Texas could be like 20 to 25 teams silly. Are there two better trios than Quinn Ewers, B. John Robinson and Xavier Worthy? Are there? I mean, I, I know that Ohio State's got one. I mean, yeah, it's I think not that, that ridiculous. Yeah, I think I think the Quinn question is still there, but I, I do think like it sounds stupid to keep putting Texas in the preseason top 25, but the reason why people do it and the reason why I did it is because Texas has a roster that if they could just figure out a way to get their crap together, that could win the big 12 next year. There's a world this year, this season had Texas not blown it against Oklahoma where Texas is like nine and three or 10 and two Texas was leading. And I think it's first eight games, except for that Arkansas game and should have been in the Big 12 title race, but mm-hmm. they just kind of collapse. And you bring, you're bringing a lot of new pieces this year. There's going to be probably 30 new players, an excellent recruiting class. Quinn Ewers, Texas hopes, elevates the quarterback position. You're going to have the, one of the best running backs in college football, one of the best wide receivers in college football, a more experienced offensive line. The defense can't be much worse than it was in year one. I think Texas is deservedly in consideration for a top 25 spot if you just – remove the idea that Texas went five and seven this year from your brain. Texas has the profile of a team that belongs in the top 25. All right. Last question. The teams 23, 24 and 25 reads like a 2003 Phil Steele cover. I love it. USC, Tennessee, Miami. They're all going to hit the portal hard. Two of them have a new coach. They all, it it just, something's right about them being lumped together. I feel like long-term, I think we would agree that USC has the highest ceiling. Miami could be close. Not going to sleep on Tennessee either. In 2022, though, Chris, of those three teams, 
which one, uh, which one gets cl- the closest to 10 wins? Uh, do you think? Man, that's, that's really, that's actually a really interesting question. I think Tennessee's capped. I think Tennessee's going to be pretty good next year. I think the beauty of what Josh Heupel runs offensively is Tennessee is going to have a floor of seven wins. And as they get more talented and more depth defensively, like that number can increase. I think Tennessee's going to be a seven to nine win team next year, but I do not think they have a 10 win ceiling. USC, I think has the highest ceiling of all of those teams, but the longest way to go, especially when you talk about reshaping their defensive identity, the lines, the scrimmage on both sides of the ball. I think they're going to be really fun to watch. And I think they might be a nine win team next year, but I didn't put USC in my top 25 because I have so many questions. I know, hold, on, hold, on, hold, on. No, hold on, hold on with USC. I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned all of that because I am the kind of person who gets suckered into the fun, the firepower. And if they add Caleb and Mario and the other guys they have, Gary Bryant, I love that. But the whole USC issue the last few years has not been the quarterback. It's been the line of scrimmage. It's been the defense. When you were covering Alex Grinch and how he had to change the Oklahoma defensive culture, that took a year, right? Yeah, it definitely did. And I actually do think Alex Grinch's defense is a really good fit for what USC has done its roster. USC's biggest issue and the Pac-12's biggest issue, frankly, is the inability to recruit size. They're not getting those 270-pound Trayvon Walkers who are going to play on the edge of a 3-4. They're not getting that Jordan Davis, that 330-pound nose tackle is going to end up two blockers every play. They have to play a different style. Alex Grinch runs a lot of twists and stunts. He rotates heavily. He wants to play a quote-unquote speed defense. And I think USC's roster is more set up to do that. But I still think USC has so much recruiting to do on both sides of the ball with the line of scrimmage. And I think it's going to take a year or two for the defense, as you said, to really get to where Alex Crunch wants to go. So while I think Caleb Williams, if he ends up going there, Mario Williams and all those skill players is going to be a lot of fun, I do worry about USC being able to win consistently because some of the issues it will have. All right, you were getting to Miami before I cut you off. Why do they have a 10-win ceiling in 2022? I think it's a couple of things. One, there's Miami's still a pretty talented roster. Like It's a top 20 roster in college football. Manny Diaz, I, I know a lot of people have criticism of him, put together a pretty decent roster. But I think the most important thing is, one, they have their quarterback, Tyler Van Dyke, and two, the ACC Coastals, the most friendly division in college football, maybe outside of the Pac-12 South right now, right? Like, Would you agree? I mean, I would say the Pac-12 North over the Pac-12 South, but sure, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, either way, like the Coastal presents a path that almost no other league does in terms of ease of access to a 10-1 season. If you even have a good to great team, I don't know if Miami will be there in year one under Mario Cristobal, but if I'm going to take one of those three teams, given the path they have to go to, the rosters they have in place, I like Miami. Yeah. I mean, Pitt loses Kenny Pickett. Miami, we just talked about. Virginia Tech, no idea what that's going to look like. Virginia, no idea what that's going to look like. North Carolina, maybe the Mac Brown bounce. I mean, it's peaks and valleys, but replacing Sam Howell and just hired Gene Chizik as your defensive coordinator. Georgia Tech, I think I know what that's going to look like long-term under Jeff Collins. I don't love it. And Duke, I think eventually they'll be okay, but I know what that looks like right now. So yeah, why should Miami not be the slam dunk? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I'm not going to predict Miami to win 10 games next year. Don't get me wrong. like, But I just think of those three teams, they have the best path. Unfortunately for Miami, they have a game in College Station and they have a game uh, in Death Valley. They're playing Clemson. They really? So, yeah, Interesting. That's, that's two losses there. So I'm not saying it's likely they get to 10. But if I had to pick one of those teams to get to 10, I would still pick Miami. Hey, well, don't look now. The ACC is kind of getting good again. Wake Forest, NC State, Clemson all have an argument to be I mean, legitimately, ESPN had NC State as number six. So all those yeah, all had, three of those teams could be top I had, 10. I had Wake in my top 10, personally. Like, I understand the argument for NC State there, too. I think both of those teams are a bit inflated due to what they have back mm. compared to, like, some of the elite teams nationally. And 
I think I still think Clemson is the cream of the crop in the ACC heading into next year. This was fun, and I just have to say it feels good talking about uh, way too early when you have a legitimate last season of results to look at because it was really hard and almost not as fun to do this um, a year ago, Chris, when we were some teams that played four games. So, man, that feels yeah. like I mean, it feels like yesterday, but also two years ago where we had teams like what Oregon State, Arizona State played like four games last year, period. That was crazy. Yeah. I mean, I remember doing like podcast interviews with coaches whose teams played. And I was like, what do you, what did I ask you? <laughs> All right, man. Chris Hummer, thanks. Thanks for joining us. You do a great job. Go follow him on Twitter at Chris underscore Hummer. Our producer is Lance Glenn. My name is Trace Scott. Have a great Wednesday. Go check out our Way Too Early Top 25 across 24 7 sports platform. We'll talk to you on Thursday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.